Welcome to the podcast of In the Vine Church in downtown Fullerton, California. For more information, visit inthevinefullerton.com. Isaiah chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Reading from the gospel according to Luke, the fifth chapter. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, hey, good morning again. Uh, Today we have a special treat. Today I've invited a dear friend to guest preach and share with us from God's word, uh, Dr. Tony Barron. If you don't know Tony, he is the dean of Azusa Pacific Seminary San Diego campus. He's also an author and a dear friend. He's a leader in our family of churches, and he's just a dear brother. And so we're just so blessed to have him here with us today. So I invite you to join me in welcoming up Dr. Tony Barron. 
Can I pray for you, brother? Please join me in prayer. So, Father, we thank you for your word that is living and active. And we pray that through it, you would speak to us today. Lord, would you give us open ears to hear your voice, open hearts to respond. We pray for Tony. Lord, would you put your spirit upon him afresh and speak through him today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like to be young in heart. I'm trying to do that. Good morning. What a joy to be with you. I am tr- truly thrilled and my wife and I just love the Swanson so much and we love this community from the very beginning it started. So, and we pray for you a lot. I just want you to know that. And since Michael's asked me to be here every day, I've been uplifting this congregation, this parish in prayer that you would see God's holiness, his deep love you would experience, and that you would know the call that God has given you. Thank you for reading those passages, because that's what we're going to focus on um, this morning is Isaiah chapter 6 and Luke 5. But what I'd like, first of all, is for you to use your imagination. Could you do that for a moment? Imagine for a moment some time in your past where you experience the mysterious and complex emotion of awe. Think about it a second. Perhaps, like Bobby and I, we've hiked the giant Canadian glaciers in Alberta (laughs) or drove slowly, 30 minutes slowly, one to two miles an hour in our vehicle surrounded by 150 bisons in South Dakota where you can just barely, if you wanted to, roll down the window and touch them, but we did not. Just want you to know. (laughs) Or stood in front of Denali, the old Mount McKinley in Alaska, and seeing finally the, the clouds move away and you see the vastness of this incredible mountain. Or seeing a whale breach in the ocean. Or perhaps your all moment is just holding your baby or grandchild. Are you thinking? Imagine that that experience violates our normal understanding of the world because that's sometimes what happens. How our stimulus that we receive even exceeds our expectations. Now, for a minute, imagine the awe that you're feeling. You know, that short vocal burst of amazement. Your mouth open. You have a slightly dropped jaw. Your eyes are widened and the inner parts of your eyebrows go up. You know those moments? Science calls that a transcended experience. Now, is everybody imagining at least one experience of awe? Now, share with someone next to you what that experience was. I'll give you about four minutes. Just share with one another what that awe experience was. And if you're by yourself, just get close to someone here. They don't bite, okay? So just share your awe experience with someone. Let's go ahead and come back together. I know we could share a lot about their experiences, right? So what I'm looking for is two or three brave people here in, in our church to share with us. You can be an introvert or an extrovert, but I, I want you to share with the group what your awe experience was. Who would do that for me? Who would share that? Do I have to pick? Oh, we got one right there. Okay. What was your awe experience? Being up at the top of a really high mountain. 
Did you hear that? Mountains up in the very top and seeing all the stars that are there. How did it make you feel? So you're stunned and staggering and, and, and you kind of had cognitive dissonance what happens in there because you have certain expectations, but you have no idea of the vastness of the sky above you. Great. How about over here? Who else would share? Yes, sir. It blows you away, doesn't it? How did it make you feel? I have a friend, Dr. Kelter, who wrote the book, The Power Paradox. He's a professor at Berkeley. And he t- he's now doing this whole scientific study on awe. And he's done some awesome things. In fact, he has the world's largest online class ever. It was 400,000 people signed up for it. And it was on the subject of the science of happiness. But he's now doing studies on awe. And one of the things they're finding is exactly what you said. Not only this transcendent vastness that happens, but the smallness that you feel in the midst of all that. How about one more? Yes. Wasn't that beautiful? I'm sitting there. I was going up to the university up here and driving there. I'm thinking, this is incredible. Why can't we have this all the time? It's fantastic. Well, all of us have experienced some awe moments in our life. At least I hope you do because life is filled with awe moments that when you see. One of the most amazing experiences I am told is seeing the earth from space. In fact, one of the quotes by astronaut Sam Durrance, when he wrote an article about it, he says these words, it's hard to explain how amazing and magical this experience is. I've seen pictures and I've heard people talk about it, but nothing can compare you for what it actually looks like. The earth is dramatically beautiful when you see it from orbit, more beautiful than any picture you have ever seen. It's an emotional experience because you're removed from the earth, but at the same time, you feel this incredible connection to the earth like nothing I've ever felt before. It's one of the aspects that we begin to feel that sometimes in the midst of Oz, we get goosebumps, we get all the vocalization of wow and all the things that happen to our face. In fact, science has told us we lean forward to try and absorb all the information that happens to us. You and I know that the Bible is filled with awe moments, right? I mean, just a couple of them. Remember Abraham and Sarah, and, and Sarah couldn't have children, and then all of a sudden one day Sarah says to Abraham, honey, guess what? The test came up right, you know? And, and she is so old during this time, she couldn't believe it. I mean, Abraham, I love what the Bible says, Abraham was good as dead. That had a lot of implications, right? He was good as dead, and yet they had a child. That must have been an awe moment for Abraham. <laughs> or you take a look at Moses, and as he's walking around, carrying, taking care of his sheep and his, his cattle and all the things that are there, and there's a burning bush that begins to have a conversation with him. Or he's up in the mountains, and the two tablets presenting the ten words, ten commandments that are presented to him, that must have cemented his call. Or Mary... What an awe moment seeing an angel. An awe moment saying that she will give birth to the Messiah, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Mary, did you know, right? Or Paul on his road to Damascus. 
that changed the course of his entire life. So it doesn't come to it doesn't come to a surprise to us to realize in our readings this morning, Isaiah chapter 6 and Luke chapter 5, that both of them are awe moments that lead them to their calling and their confirmation. And one of the aspects of this particular season is called epiphany. And the whole point of the season that we live in this time of epiphany is to open our eyes to the manifestation of who God really is. No wonder in the book of Proverbs where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In the Hebrew, it would actually, I think, be better translated because fear is more of an English expression, but it should be translated the awe of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see, the danger that you and I have in this day and age is that we we see a God that seems to be so domesticated. We see a God so many times in the vision that is our best friend, the one that lives down the street or the other aspect that we have. We see a God in terms of anthropomorphic terminology. And this domesticated God is, goes beyond this in Isaiah chapter 6 or Luke chapter 5. And we see those characteristics that happen. And here's what I'm realizing with my students and their calling. And here's what I'm realizing in the church. That we can't confirm our calling unless we have an awe experience with God. That we can't sustain our calling unless we have awe experiences with God. In the midst of our valley experiences, if we don't have this awe and if we don't remember the awe moments that we have with God, in the difficult times we begin to walk away. That's why being an apprentice for Jesus Christ is remembering and experiencing these awe moments. So if you have your Bibles, just put one finger in Isaiah 6 and the other one in the Gospel in Luke chapter 5. And I'm just going to focus for a minute on just three things. The majesty of God, the mystery of God, and the mission of God. Remember the passage in Isaiah where King Uzziah, we know that's about 740 um, B.C. During that time he dies. And Isaiah, which means God saves is having this vision, this divine, regal brilliance of who God is. And he's having this tremendous vision. And he sees the seraphims that are attending there. And and the first thing the angelic creatures are saying is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The idea of holy means that God is set apart. He's distinctive from all others. He is consecrated in who he knows. And the reason I know that it's just not words is that when you listen to the words of Isaiah, he says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's a prophet. Even his lips are unclean. He is recognizing in that moment the holiness of God. And then when you go to Luke chapter 5 and you have another incident that happens, it's not about the regal brilliance of seeing a vision above. It's just the average everyday life of a group of fishermen who've been casting nets all night long and haven't caught anything. 
And Jesus asked to be on a boat to preach more because the crowds are pressing in and he preaches. And then he tells them as they're mending their nets, throw your nets on the other side. And of course, Peter, the spokesman of the group says, Lord, we've, we tried all night, but because your master will, will go ahead and do it. And he throws it on the other side. And the Bible says they catch so many fish, the nets begin to what? Break. And did you notice what Peter's response was? Get away from me. For you are holy. You are set apart. You're different. To feel the calling of God and to have the understanding of what God is for your and my life, to transform the city of Fullerton and all the communities that we live, you have to share in your own life, first of all, realize the model of the, the, the awesomeness of God and then share with other people because of that when things are even tough. God is holy and we're sinful. By the way, if we don't have the holiness of God, there cannot be any justice in the world. Without the holiness of God, all you have are special interest groups that try to take moral high standing over the other as comes in. But because the holiness of God that is there, there is truth, there is reality. That's why the holiness of God is so great. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I probably scared you. I apologize. I'm really a delightful grandpa. I really am. My kids call me Papa. You remember Aslan in Narnia, the series there? I love that. And Aslan is the only character in C.S. Lewis books of all seven uh, books there. And do you remember Mr. Beaver, one of the characters of, of Narnia, a grumpy fellow who dislikes the cold weather of Narnia? He says, he says this, referring to Aslan. He'll be coming and going. One day you'll see him and another you won't. He doesn't like being tied down. And of course, he has other countries to attend to. It's, it's quite all right. He'll often drop in. Only you mustn't press him. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. And later he says, safe, referring to Aslan, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. When he bears his teeth, winter meets his death. And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. In a world that has gone wrong, it is because of God's holiness he can make it right. And the majesty of God that we have in his life is that God is holy. But what's interesting in this passage is you begin to see in Isaiah chapter 6 and Luke chapter 5, you begin to see a strange thing that is happening in there. That in the midst of what Isaiah was experiencing, we see that God is condescending himself to humanity. We see in Luke chapter 5 with the incarnation of Jesus, that Jesus is reaching out to imperfect individuals. It's a mystery. The mystery of God It's not his holiness. The mystery of God is his unbelievable love. 
for you and me. You can't teach holiness unless you teach love, but you can't teach love unless you teach holiness if you want the real God. John Calvin, one of my... John Calvin and I attended seminary together a long time ago. He wrote these words. God's willingness lovingly to condescend to us for edification. He condescended to us through the scriptures and the sacraments, and more importantly, the incarnate Jesus Christ. It marks the unapproachable character of God in his glory and God's provision of the means by which we might have access to that glory. I think in 2017, there was a song that I really love called The Reckless Love. You can't have a domesticated God if he's a holy God, and you, and you can't have a domesticated God if he demonstrates his reckless love. Corey Asbury writes these lyrics, Before I spoke a word, you were singing over me. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down, fights until I'm found, leaves the 99. I couldn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It's a mystery. God is holy. That's his majesty. God is love. That's his mystery. So what's about the mission that's been called for Isaiah and for Luke? It's not just just God condescends down. But if you notice the mission in Isaiah, the coal that touches the very lips, where Isaiah says, woe is me, I'm a sinful man and among sinful people. Or in Luke chapter 5, where Peter says, depart from me. I'm a sinner. I don't deserve all this. Jesus says this incredible words to them. And in Isaiah, what happens, God calls him to be a prophet to the people. And in Luke, what happens, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you what? fishers of men. It's interesting in the Greek because the word fishers of men was different than one catching fishing. Catching fishing in the Greek word means that you're going to catch them so they die. The Greek word that's used here to be fishers of men means you catch them alive. Isn't that great? That Jesus said in the midst of what is communicated to you and me is the mission is that he's called us after this all experience that we have And in the midst of this grand experience that we have before God, we recognize his holiness that is no longer our ministry, it's his ministry. And that God in his witness because of his love decided even before the foundations of the world to call you and me to be God's witness in this world. That you're actually part of God's Trinitarian plan in this world that we have to be a witness of his holiness and his love. 
That's God's mission. His way. I believe that seeing as holiness and experiencing love is a prerequisite for service. That you can't really become an apprentice of Jesus unless you experience that moment before him. I really want you to think about that. The mission of God is to make disciples. As my mentor and friend Dallas Willard would say, that's God's plan A. He didn't have a plan B. Now you might say to me, Tony, I, uh, my life kind of sucks right now. The things you talked about in terms of the awe moments that we, I had, I had them. But quite lately, I'm kind of dry right now. In fact, those awe moments are a distant memory that I feel like I read it as opposed to lived it. You ever felt that way? I know I have. I want you to think about Peter for a moment. He's had so many awe moments with Jesus. So many. And then at the crucial crucial moment when he says, all others will betray you, I won't. And in the midst of the place where he's listening in about Jesus being persecuted and beaten and all those, and he smells the charcoal fire and he denies Christ in the midst of the charcoal fire that was there three times. He thought, there's no way can I get back to that all experience. But you remember in John, again, another story. They're fishing. They're fishing, and they're not doing very well. And Jesus says the same thing, cast the nets on the other side. And the fish are coming, and they're looking, and they're looking, and and they say, Jesus. And Peter decides to become, you know, Mark Phelps, swimming all the way there. (laughs) And then he sees Jesus in the midst of this, and Jesus has a charcoal fire. You know how smell touches your memory? probably reminded him of his betrayal. And Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know I'm your friend. The Greek, it comes out that way, as most of you probably know. Jesus said, agape, do you love me? And Peter responds again, phileo. And then finally, the last time Jesus said, are you my friend? And it broke Peter's heart said, yes, Lord, you know I am. But each time, even in the midst of betrayal, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. It's a calling that God has. Look, folks, as large as you are in this community, you can transform the communities you live in and the work you live in. Not by just your words, but modeling your Father in heaven, his holiness and his love and his mission. You can be the bearer of hope, the bearer of hope to model and inspire and equip and encourage God's people 
for God's vision in a world that God has. As the worship team come fo- comes forward, I want us to think about that. You remember the words that God asked Isaiah? He said, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go up for us? I used to be involved and I still am with things Crisio. And that's the question at the end of a three-day retreat. Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. May that be your words today on this day. Amen.